Welcome back in listeners to another exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined today by two incredible artists, the playwright Katie Frazier and artistic director Akia Squitteri, who are with Rising Sun Performance Company. And they're presenting the new show, Untitled Calamity Jane Play, which is being presented in repertory with the show Proud, February 10th through 26th at the 14th Street Y Theater. Akia, Katie, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. I am so excited to dive into the show. The press release was fantastic. It didn't allude to much, but the one thing that I really appreciated about this is the, the a line in there was, we have cast from everywhere in the world, stood out to me. And then the description of who Calamity Jane was, she's all of this and none of this. And I was like, this is exactly what I needed to read. Like, I, I want to see this as a trailer. Like, I wish theater shows had trailers because this is exactly what I need in my life. So would you both mind telling us a bit about the show? And Katie, could I start with you with that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Just to use the line you reference as a jumping off point, the thing with Calamity Jane that will make the play make sense is that her history's a friggin' mess right? She was a nonstop liar when she was alive. Other people lied about her while she was alive. Myths are still perpetuated. There are probably about five different women, really, who went by the name Calamity Jane in the Old West. And so with this play, rather than trying to pluck one narrative of calamities out, I was much more interested in laying all those lies on top of each other and seeing what we can learn. So over the course of the play, at one point, there are five different Calamity Janes on stage all at once. You know, Calamity can fight with herself, we explore memory, and it's really a chance to bring the mess that is Calamity into focus. I love that. Now, how did you come up with the idea of this show? How did I come up with the idea of the show? Don't look at me. Uh, no, I, I'm, like, I'm like having a moment where I'm like, yeah. The way I came up with the idea, frankly, um, years ago uh, when I was working on an entirely different show, the running gag with the cast was, well, what's Katie going to write next? And everyone telling me what they wanted me to write. And one of the actors was like, oh, you need to write a play about Lenny Jane. And I went home and did a Google. And then I got hooked, right? Our choreographer was trying to talk me into writing a baseball musical for her to choreograph. No, forget that. Everything was about Calamity Jane. And truly, I just, I went down a rabbit hole and I got a little obsessed. And it was one of those like, well, the play has to be written now because it's all in my head. I have to get it back out. I, I, I fell into quicksand, right? <laughs> uh, and now I have like a whole shelf of books in my home that are just about Calamity. <laughs> But what, you know, what you said about uh, not knowing whether she was real or not is something I've run into a lot when talking about the play. It's people going, oh, about the, the tall tale? I'm like, no, about the person. And they're like, she was real? And I'm like, oh, she, no, she was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people still don't realize. And I think we talk about it a lot, too, with the cast of, like, the Annie Oakley calamity overlap mm-hmm. of, like, how those two are sort of been interchangeable and sort of mistaken for each other in different ways of like western folklore Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. Akia I want to bring you in now and I want to ask what has it been like developing the show sure it has been 
an awesome and a really long journey. So Katie and I actually knew each other as arts administrators, like for a very long time. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember the moment, but Katie and I were having a conversation about like theater biz and they were like, oh, I'm also a playwright and it would be great to have you read my work. And they submitted Calamity and we read it and we're like, this is amazing. And I sort of remember we, we had like coffee and we were talking about it. And then I became, as we were talking about it, I was like, okay, actually, I, yeah, I want to direct this piece. <laughs> and I feel like I always kind of cornered Katie in like over coffee. And I don't think Katie actually knew what I was making her sign up for. <laughs> but but uh, I would be, yeah, it was like, came from a really simple read and just like exchange mm-hmm. of us knowing each other for a really long time. And I think that was early 2019 probably. Yeah. And we were, we, we workshopped it for several years and then COVID happened. We were actually supposed to produce this the end of 2020 and then it got moved to 2021 and then it got moved to 2022. And here we are in 2023. So when I say long journey, it, it really has been, I think an act of persistence and resilience of making this happen, but it's also been a really beautiful process to partner with a playwright. And because we're an ensemble cast and ensemble company, we've actually, I'd say at least over half of the cast have been attached to this project since 2019. And I think this is our fifth, fifth and final version, right? Since 2019 of workshopping, developing, Mm -hmm. we've had a couple of readings, we've had a couple internal laboratories. We spent the year of COVID doing Zoom readings when we couldn't actually be in the room together. Mm -hmm. So it's been a real labor of love and exploration and patience, I think, for all of us. So it's been really fun. And I think we've all been just waiting with bated breath to actually create all of the components that people are going to get to see on stage. So it's been an awesome journey. And I think we're just excited and a little bit in disbelief that we're finally here after so many years. Now, Katie, it sounds like this isn't your first play you've written, but you know, with it being such a long process, how what has the process been like developing the show and hearing your words finally spoken aloud by actors and whatnot? Uh, it's been this play in particular has been a long journey for me. It took me longer to write than any other scripts I've ever done. And part of that is because I don't I hadn't really gone down the path of having to a script that required so much research before. And truly, and then Truly, I sat with a finished first draft for two years before anyone wanted to develop it with me. And and there was a little bit, it was the script that was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Everyone was like, we love it, but this cast is too big. We love it, but we we can't do this right now. And the wonderful ensemble of Rising Sun has just been the the perfect fit, right? And being able to work with the ensemble has been amazing. And the way COVID forced us to sort of slow down the development process and take more time has only made the play better, in my opinion. But that long journey does mean that like it's, it is a huge relief to see it on stage. And I think every day he is like, what do you think, is this okay? And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm on a little bit of a cloud right now. <laughs> Tired, but on a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Akia, coming back to you, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will leave with from the show? It's a great question. One of the things that drew me to this piece, uh, there's a, there's a few lines in the piece um, that, that really just 
get me in the soul. Uh, but what, I think one of the themes I keep talking about is that this is, I call it the legacy play. <laughs> and we talk about this with Proud, who we're running and rep with too. Really the exploration of what, what happens to us after we're gone and who has the right to tell that story for us and what do we want to be remembered for. And I think the play, because there's so many different facets of calamity and her exploration and journey into telling her story and, and, you know, the primary calamity, really her journey in the play is making sure her story is how she wants it to be told, right? Like that is for me as the director, what's been sort of the guiding path of like, what is, what is the driving force of calamity and the choices she's making and the arguments she's making with her other selves? So it's that, that imprint of what we leave behind and what people do with those stories after we're gone. And the other really interesting thing that drew me to this piece in particular and why I was so eager to work on it is the duality of truth in the sense of we have this amazing sometimes looked at as a queer feminist icon or just a feminist icon that is held up in folklore um, and feminist literature and feminist stories, right? We have this, this fascinating woman who broke barriers and wore clothing that was not acceptable for her gender or how she presented in her gender at that time, right? We don't know if she lived today, what she would identify as. So we have this amazing human that broke all these barriers and created herself as a legend and we also have somebody at the same time um, participated in some in colonization and genocide of indigenous people and a a lot of harm right state-sponsored harm that she was directly a part of and how do we how do we balance and and live with those two truths about this really fascinating person and how those intersect. And we explore that a little bit in the story. And I I think we, you know, there's always room to dig into it more, but we really spent a lot of time talking about, we are lifting up someone who was really fascinating in history, who actually participated in a lot of harm with other people, right? Of what, what the Western colonization and genocide did to those states and the indigenous people in those lands and how, how we live with that and how we celebrate that and also acknowledge the other truth and the other part of that. So th- those are just two things that are really drawn. One of the lines is just because you're a legend doesn't make you a hero. And I've sort of held to that a little bit too, right? Like you can be a legend, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a hero. And that doesn't take you away from the fact that you're a legend, but you also have this other stuff you need to be accountable for. Mm-hmm. Katie, what is the messenger thought you're hoping that audiences take away? I've been thinking a lot about this because I had to write a play right now for the program. <laughs> I think truly what I want most is for audiences to walk away feeling like they see her. Because I think Calamity Jane, because of her tangled history, because of the way she tried to lie her way out of her own gender depression, I don't, I feel like no one really saw her in her time and no one really sees her in history now. And I want... I want the audience to walk away feeling like they know her and that they know and that they can learn from her and hold her accountable at the same time. (laughs) Does that make any sense? Right. That like we can, we know her, we learn from her and we don't put her on a pedestal. It's calling in with love, right? Yeah. (laughs) We're calling in calamity with love. (laughs) I want to ask both of you a real quick question involving the casting of the show, because I found this really fascinating. In the press release, as I mentioned, you have Calamity Jane playing, played by people from all over the world, including, and I quote, through Italy and Germany. 
what was your thinking behind having such a diverse cast play this singular person? And I suppose maybe I should start with Akia with that question first. Sure. Oh, it is. So one, it is just in all of the stories, us as a company, Rising Sun as a company, we're an ensemble company and representation and really does matter. And I, I think that gets, you know, a lot of people use that. And we really to to try to to walk our walk our talk. And we just by nature of being an ensemble company have an exceptionally um, diverse and international cast um, and company and an ensemble. So we when we are selecting our plays, a big part of how we select our plays is not only falling in love with the material, but making sure that there is parts for the people that are in our company and that um, we can utilize the people within our company and, and that this is work that would speak to them um, and that we could put them on stage in. So, so that was one of, you know, every, every play I read, every piece I look at, I always look at through that lens of like, who are the, who are the bodies and the humans in these roles? Do we have people in the company that can appropriately and accurately identify as these characters? And I think for this piece, you know, Katie, and feel free Katie, to jump in. I think Katie and I spoke about it a lot because we do explore all of this duality and the play comes back and forth between contemporary and breaking the fourth wall and including the audience in sort of a fun tongue-in-cheek way and has these really self-aware contemporary moments and then it also travels back through time. And I think one of the explorations Katie and I really wanted to look at was having people of a variety of bodies and identities on stage, both in gender and age and race and national identity. And it has been an interesting exploration of telling a very Americana American story through the lens of a very international cast. And it was, it was a choice. You know, we, we had a lot of people uh, come out for the auditions and a lot of people both from in the ensemble and externally. And so, so it was a choice in the way we cast and also just chemistry of this cast. We, even in the workshops, we had people that really just started shaping these roles and by the time we finished workshop we're like well nobody else could play this part <laughs> right so some of it was happy happy discovery of when we were workshopping and doing readings we were like great ensemble come in and then as we had these voices attached and building the roles in these characters they really started living and embodying them so it just made sense and for us it was also just really important we had a, a wide variety of identity on stage and I, I think you can talk a little bit too about totally. the explorations you were doing with the characters yeah yeah because even before I got milked rising sun ensuring that the cast was diverse was really important to me and part of that is because I think one like we live in a post Hamilton era right we have learned something about how seeing historically white characters in the bodies of people of color and other marginalized people helps helps a modern audience relate, helps a modern audience learn from these characters, right? Connect with these characters in a different way. But also I think there is so much about Calamity's story that as a modern, you know, so, as someone with a modern lens is so clearly about, about her oppression, about what it was like to be a woman then. And I think there are, and the pitfall she fell into trying to climb her way out of that, right? Is that line in the play? She's trying every way she could to make a name for herself without wearing a skirt, right? Uh, and she heard a lot along the way. But I think that journey and like and the mistakes we can make 
while trying to trick the dominant culture into treating us as equals is something all kinds of folks uh, of marginalized identities can relate to, right? And I wanted the play to be able to draw that out. And it was really important to me as a queer woman, a, a person, just misgendered myself, uh, but as a queer person, <laughs> that the play speaks to that. Oh, I love that. As we wrap up this first part of the interview, I want to ask you both, who do you hope have access to the show? And Katie, I want to stick with you on the first part of this. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it goes off of exactly what I was saying in the last question, right? I think I want not just the cast to be diverse, but the audience to be diverse. I want, I would love to see uh, the audience full of queer folks. I would love to see the audience full of people of color. I want a really wide diversity of perspectives because so much stuff made about the Old West is made for no offense, white male audiences, right? It's, this is a show that is meant for an audience that is much more diverse than that. And the white men can come to them. <laughs> it's, it's the anti-spaghetti western that also is tongue-in-cheek a spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like ironically a spaghetti western. Yeah. Oh right. my gosh, I love this. <laughs> Heck yeah, how about you? Who do you hope have access? Yes, ending to everything that Katie said already. It is important that we have diversity on stage and off stage, behind the stage and in the audience, like all of that. Double check, yes, yes. And I think diversity also goes in age, right? I would love to have teenagers who maybe have only gone to see, you know, Hamilton of Course Line or Mary Poppins on Broadway and like we were saying before, you know, indie theater and downtown theater have a lot to offer. And I think folks who don't get to go see theater a lot think it's Broadway and you have to spend $200 to see a really great show. So I'm always excited when somebody's like, oh, I didn't know this is what theater could be. And and no no shade to Broadway. I, I love going to see a good, beautiful, great, big Broadway musical, right? But I think that is also what folks think theater is unless they get to experience different shows like this. I think we are trying to make tickets affordable. So I, we really want it to be barrier free in terms of financial access. We have tried really hard to make show times accessible, right? Having daytime shows, if somebody works, you know, an overnight shift or works at a restaurant and making time that they can, you know, other folks that don't work a traditional nine to five can come see a show. We, it was also really important to us when partnering with a space that there is body accessibility, right? We have an elevator and that doesn't, that seems like a really obvious thing that a lot of small downtown theaters don't have the money to put an elevator in, right? So our, the venue we are in, the Fortune Street Y, has wheelchair accessible and other other body ability to come into the space and it be accessible for a variety of abilities and disabilities. So that is really important to us. We can always do better and do more and we we are working on those things. But I think all of those things of of age, we I would love to see an audience of 15 year olds who have never seen a downtown show. And I would love to see a group of 70 to 80 year olds who might not necessarily think that this is something they want and then have a really good time and, and be exposed to something new. So, so all of those things, and we really want our spaces to be welcoming and inclusive and for audiences to feel like they are invited and belong, um, how and meet our audiences as they, as they are able. 
show, we not only talk about the, the productions themselves, but we also talk about our experiences in the theater. And I'd like to have our listeners get a chance to, to learn about your experience in the theater. And I want to start by asking you to what shows or playwrights or composers have inspired you in the past? Katie, is it okay if I start with you on that? Totally. Yeah, so much. Sarah Rule is a big, big influence of mine, truly an icon. Also, Jacqueline Bachhaus. I think if I hadn't seen Men on Boats, I don't even know what this play would look like, you know? <laughs> it's a huge influence. Dan Washburn. Honestly, anyone making something with magical realism, I'm there. Like, like, oh, is like a piece of furniture going to fall through the ceiling? Yes, I will show up. Gosh, what was that show? One of my favorite things I've seen in the past few years, and I'm going to mangle the title, was uh, Infinite Rage of Playing Five Bettys. Oh, that's not the title. That's something like that, which literally was one of those like magical realism. Furniture falls, things come in. I'm always into the highly theatrical stuff, right? Where like the actors flying in the air and they like to see the strings and that's the point. Yeah. I will Google it later and tell you what the name is <laughs> of the show I was thinking of. Because it's Collective amazing. Rage, a play in five Bettys. Yes, thank you. Oh, there you go. I actually have heard of that. The minute you uh, said MCC, I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard a lot of really cool things about that show. And I wish I discovered MCC sooner for that reason. Because I was like, wait a minute. What am I missing? Good fun. And honestly, a good read too. Get the scripts, you know? Akia, how about you? Oh, that is such a, a big question. I... My background originally was dance. So I come from a, like, I was a performer before a director. So I am always moved by movement-based work. Uh, for like, I'm a huge fan girl of Fuerza Ruta and, and the folks, uh, De La Guarda. Seeing there were, like, I came from a very traditional musical theater, classical ballet background. And when I moved to New York and I got to see that work, it just turned my head on what theater could be and that uh, the immersive experiential part of theater that just I, I love that kind of stuff like Blue Man Group, uh, Stomp, Sleep No More, Forza Ruta, De La, De La Guayra, that whole group of like off-Broadway downtown shows. Um, I love all of that stuff and Sleep No More being like you know complete immersion. Uh, I love uh, Punch Drunk's work and I think for playwrights I tend to go for like very dark literal work like Bug by Tracy Letts is one of my all-time plays Soul for Love Sam Shepard I also love Rebecca Gilman um Glory of Living it's one of my favorite plays so it, it's like the, the span is pretty <laughs> like polar opposite just in, like I'm like I'm total immersion break the fourth wall get really weird and then like have a kitchen sink drama I'm um, also like Steel Magnolias is one of my all-time favorite plays too <laughs> just like that kitchen sink uh southern ladies in a beauty parlor and then with this play one of the things we've been doing is really exploring music we've been like have a vibe playlist and we've been just like re-listening to like classic feminist icon music from like the 70s to now and I am I've been like playing MIA bad girl on repeat for the past week it's like our vibe song so yeah it's it's really all over the place I also grew up in the Caribbean so I have a, a real connection to like soca music and dubstep 
and reggaeton music as well. Um, so it, it spans the project and what I'm working on. But when I'm directing, I like to have a vibe list that I play at night or before I come to the studio to sort of set my mood for the day. Love it. Well, speaking of all of that, have either of you seen any great theater lately? Aki, why don't I stick with you for this question? Gosh, I feel like a failure as an artist because I'm blanking because I've been in rehearsal for so long. <laughs> That's fair. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, actually, uh, Fat Ham. I feel like uh, I saw that at the public before their current transfer, and that really stood out to me for a lot of reasons. Yeah, Fat, Fat Ham was a really cool experience. And another thing, I really love Six on Broadway as much as I've been like downtown theater, as far as like big Broadway musicals, I am obsessed with that show. I've seen it twice now. I love the soundtrack. Same thing though, right? Like contemporary, a contemporary spin on a very classic story and retelling these women's stories in their own voice of a musical taking back their own voice and their own story. So yes, Six on Broadway super resonates with me right now. (laughs) Katie, how about you? Yeah, um, similarly, gosh, talking about what you said earlier about how it's hard when you're not on a normal nine to five to see theater. It's really hard sometimes for theater people to see theater, right? Because we're in rehearsal. But I think the last thing I saw weirdly was a Broadway show, which I don't see a lot of Broadway myself. (laughs) I got to catch K-pop before they closed. And I was just so excited to, Having seen that show when Ars Nova produced it as like a fully immersive production, I was just dying to see how they would make it work in a Broadway theater. <laughs> and so that was really just an interesting experience. You could see that show in two really different shapes. I'm so sad yeah. I missed that. That was, mm, that was on my list. Me. There was a few on my list that, that unfortunately closed too fast. So We could go on about those, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But then we wouldn't be able to get to this next question, which I'm excited about, which is what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Katie, I want to start with you on that one. Oh, gosh. I think I think for me, especially thinking about it as a playwright, my favorite thing about working in theater is, is the collaborative nature of the art form, right? I may sit alone in my apartment uh, drinking whiskey and writing a play for months, but I don't feel like I'm really doing it until we're all in the room together, right? And that sense of play that emerges and that sense of community and the way just hearing a new voice say the lines can completely change something that you thought you fully understood. Like that's, that's it for me, yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Akia, how about you? Yeah, same. I think it's the it's the community, it's the collaboration, it's the it's the people. It is deeply satisfying as a director, as a producer, to to read a script and see it as written words, and then go through a process and see it come to life on stage. And just that threading of the needle and and a, a community to to build this world is just magic theater people are just built different <laughs> we just like it, it like I, that's my story and I'm sticking to it I'll, I'll die on that hill but like theater people are just I, I've seen especially over the past few years like with COVID of just people showing up for each other and still coming back to the work and like the changes that are being made in our community is is really important and I just 
yeah, it's the, the collaboration and the people and the community. And I think for, you know, for us as an ensemble company, like family gets thrown around a lot in theater, but like, it's really true. Like on stage and off stage of just seeing everybody have their, have each other's backs and showing up for each other in really challenging circumstances and on stage doing really hard scenes and emotional work and having that trust and respect and care for each other is always intensely deeply moving when the process is right yes we've now come to my favorite question and i'm so excited to hear what your two answers are which is what is your favorite theater memory Akia, I'm gonna have to start with you on this one. Ooh, uh, I would say, oh my gosh, there's so many. I think the show, like the the moment in time, if I had to pick one, was as a company we did we did many iterations of a show called Hellcat by Will Kern, and it was our first show as a resident theater at what was then Horse Trade, they're now Frigid, at the Under St. Mark's Theater, and we were a rag tag scrappy scrappy group of folk and our lead actor Nick Nick Mavoli who was the cab driver we were doing rehearsals in his apartment that because we had no money and we were literally me and my best friend who was the stage manager we would do our day jobs we'd have lunch together because we worked in buildings across from each other we would then ride the train to Williamsburg which was a whole different world back then it was still warehouses and you know, we would rehearse in Nick's apartment and then sometimes it would be late and we would just sleep on the floor and then we would get up and we would do it again. And then once the show ran, we all kind of just lived like Nick's apartment was like this flop house. <laughs> and we all just like would sleep on couches and floors because it was just easier to spend the night there after a show to get up and go back and do it tomorrow. And it was just this like blissful cocoon of a time that I think I've been chasing my whole life. <laughs> Like that, that like six months of my life of like with that group of 15 people is I think what cemented us as a company. So I think that's why I hold on to it is like we were a company before that and that show, whatever it was about the chemistry of that group of people in that time in our lives. And that show was just like our whole world orbited around that show, which ran for four months. And like we worked our day jobs and like our temp jobs. And then we did the show at night. And we literally saw each other seven days a week and for four months. And it, it was just this like blissful little bubble. And after that, it just was like, oh, we are a company. Like we're, we're doing this, like the, this, and here we are 18 years later, right? We just hit our 20th anniversary this season. So we'd been producing a couple of years before that, but there was like, that show was what we were like, no, we're, we're a company. We're in this, we're, we're doing this. So that's, that's mine. I've got lots and lots, but <laughs> if I had to pick one. It's okay. I know those story was beautiful, but I was so stressed out trying to pick my favorite theater moment. I have no idea what you just said. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm really struggling to pick just one, right? Especially because I keep thinking about like, well, what was my favorite moment when I was a house manager? What was right. my favorite moment when I was trying to be a director? What was my favorite, you know? <laughs> I think one of, one of my favorite experiences in theater was a production I did, and I think it was probably 2017, 18, doesn't matter when, that a play a play I wrote with a very long title, it's called A Sex Thing, or a bunch of liberals getting uptight about the sociopolitical implications of their desires. Part of that was in parentheses. Like that's, it's, it, I don't title things normally, but the point was 
we had done the play once before in a festival and we're producing it again at uh, here art center now just here and my best friend was directing my wife did the lighting design like we got half the cast when we done it before in a festival back together and my greatest dream for the play was that I wanted a balloon drop which there was like, there's balloons for a reason, which I won't go into, but I wanted a balloon drop. And we were in the downstairs space at Cure Art Center. And there's no fly system. No. It's a very low ceiling. And literally me and like some of my best friends in the world stared at that ceiling went, okay, I think we can do this. And truly <laughs> like I went in early and like my little playwright project was getting on a ladder and I rigged a balloon drop in a space that had no space for anything, just like behind an I-beam, like snuck it in. And I think like the moment we were like, okay, test it. And we did it and it worked. And we're like, we crammed such a big show thing into such a little space and doing that. Yeah, did that feeling of like, we're all putting it together as a team and it's all the people I love. I think that's probably one of my best favorite experiences. That is amazing. And you are absolutely right. That is a tiny space. Yeah, the downstairs space here is so tiny. I, you know, and that space means a lot to me because, well, I guess this should have been my favorite theater memory. I got married in that theater space. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. My wife, Kate August, they were the TD here at the time. And we uh, were like, is there anything in the dot on this Monday night? <laughs> and we threw a wedding down there. <laughs> Oh, we love a good meet cute story like that. Oh, both of you. Thank you for sharing those amazing memories. Congrats, Katie, for the marriage. And Akia, congrats on 20 years for the company. That's amazing. Wow. Are there any other productions or projects that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Well, I would love to give a shout out to Proud, who we're running in repertory with in the same theater. So also being produced by Rising Sun. Proud is by Judd Lear Silverman and directed by Eric Parnes. It also features a, a good portion of Rising Sun's ensemble and also explores the theme of legacy. And it is based on a true story. The four peacocks who escaped the Philadelphia Zoo in 2018 and shut down the Schuylkill Expressway for three days. And the story is about the peacock's point of view and where they were headed to and why they needed to leave the zoo, which the premise is super comical and, and delightful and also wildly has some really poignant, beautiful human moments of connection between these four birds on stage. And the costumes, our costume designer, Zara uh, Jangbar, is just wow <laughs> like so i'm i'm excited i have not gotten to see their dress rehearsal we're going to be doing that later tonight so i can't wait to see all of the i've gotten to see snippets and and walking the, watching the peacocks backstage and i can't wait to see it so i, I want to give them a little shout out too I'm so excited to sp share the stage with them mm -hmm. yeah and honestly i mean we've been sharing space with them we've been really developing calamity and proud sort of at the same time like doing a workshop of both of them at the same time. Yeah, so it's really exciting to get to see them up. For me, I don't have anything. I have things in the works. Web series I'm working on with someone. I have, you know, a new script I'm working on, but nothing for folks to see at the moment. So more of a stay tuned. I love that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, speaking of staying tuned, if our listeners want to get more information about Untitled Calamity Jane play or about the two of you or they want to reach out to either of you, how can they do so? Sure. So websites are are probably the easiest. You can find information about the show both at risingsunnyc.com or our fabulous uh, co-presenter and our theater theatrical home the 14th street Y. So it's 14th street spelled out the letter Y.org. And they have a full arts and cultural program and team here, which I actually just joined instead. I'm getting settled into my new role, which is really exciting. So the, uh, the 14th street Y website and rising sun's website uh, is the place to start um, and social media. We are at rising sun NYC on Instagram and Facebook and all the, and Twitter. So all the socials, Rising Sun NYC is where to find us on social media. Well, Katie, Akia, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about this amazing show. I'm so excited for the two of you. I'm so excited about this repertory shows and everything that's going to be coming along with it. So thank you so much. Thank you. This has been such fun. Yeah. Thank you for having us and taking time for us. This was great. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you. My guests today have been the playwright Katie Frazier and the artistic director Akia Squateri, who are with Rising Sun Performance Company. Their new show, Untitled Calamity Jane Play, is running in repertory with the show Proud from February 10th through 26th at the 14th Street Y Theater. You can get tickets and more information at risingsunnyc.com or at 14streety.org. We also have some social media contact info for you that we'll be posting along with the episode description and on our social media. So don't miss out on this great new play. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by The Joy Drops and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.